Welcome, FAU and FIU fans, to another Shula Bowl podcast. Uh, huge morning for FAU fans uh, coming off a big victory yesterday in a game that didn't even play all that well, but FAU did what it did all year, force turnovers, make the big play when they had to, uh, and get another East Division title setting up a match. Uh, I find a really interesting match uh, coaching-wise – uh, with UAB, uh, I think it's the first time in a while. Maybe Eric can comment on this. This the conference USA championship game isn't a rematch uh, from a game in the regular season. So I, you know, I think that's a little bit of an interesting dynamic these teams haven't seen each other. But I, I just think today, just kind of after last year with everything, it just kind of cemented Lane and his legacy. And even more if we win next week uh, at FAU and Conference USA. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm glad you touched on Lane because I think that's really where you have to start. I've said this, you know, in various outlets and various, you know, uh, publications. And Jake can come on to this a little further in detail. But I think Lane Kiffin doesn't get enough credit. And we kind of talked about this before we started taping, Shane, that Lane doesn't get enough credit in two <laughs> facets. One, being a game day X's and O's coach. I think he's very underrated in that regard. But the second is being a program builder. And I know that because of the way things ended at USC and the way things ended at Tennessee, that has a little bit of a sour taste in the minds of people. But I think FAU, this coaching job, I mean, it's been uh, the dream scenario for FAU in that they now are qualifying for the second conference title game in three years. But also for Lane Kiffin, he takes the job and it's the perfect, uh, you know, rehabilitation situation where his name is back out there as someone who, Hey, can build a program from scratch and, and look what he's done. I look at FAU and I just think that, you know, we've kind of talked about this at certain points in this podcast. You look at the talent he's acquired. Sure. Some of the guys, you know, Charlie Partridge guys in year one, but you look at what he's done now and this team is loaded. I would put them quite frankly as, as a favorite going into next year. And, you know, we'll get to that as uh, the rest of the offseason progresses, but just kudos to Lane Kiffin, the job he's done. Uh, you know, we've talked about it, Bill Clark and Seth Luttrell and other guys being the hot name. And maybe that's because people have soured on Lane once again, that I mentioned because of the way some of his previous jobs ended, but overall, I just can't talk enough about the job that Lane Kiffin's done and we'll see if they can finish the job off next week. FAU has 101 wins as a program after yesterday. Lane Kiffin is responsible for 25 of them in three years. He's 25 and 13. That's not changing the arc of a program. That's taking a dying program and reviving it. And it's funny because they're playing UAB, which literally was a dead program. But Kiffin deserves so much credit because he's gotten so much out of not only the guys that he inherited, developing guys like Harrison Bryan into all-conference guys, Brandon Walton, Rashad Smith, but recruiting great talent. You saw yesterday Chris Robinson, even if he was a little wild and played probably the worst game he's played since the UCF game, some of his throws were darts. B.J. Emmons, who played for Kiffin, Alabama, running over USM's defense. What Lane Kiffin is doing at FAU is something out of a movie. And it's something that he already has established his legacy, even if he leaves after this season. He was the savior, and he is the savior. Yeah, he, you know, just look how far kind of FAU were, where they kind of were, you know, after, and we'll go to like a little history lesson on FAU, kind of fun to be nostalgic on these type of days. And, you know, Howard Schellenberger just kind of faded out at the end. This, you, this, you see this happening at Old Dominion, kind of with the legacy coaches and, they always see Bobby Bowden. They always seem to go a year or two too long. And then FAU made kind of a poor hire in Pelini. Um, and, and still credit for Charlie Partridge for kind of almost resetting the very basic foundation, just getting us to a football program. It didn't result in wins on the field. I didn't think there was, you know, enough experience, but just doing it. And the lane kind of took you know, the, the building blocks that were set and is taken off with it. And this is the program that, you know, FEU fans have always uh, kind of envisioned what's happened. I mean, you know, we've talked about it even in regards to the FIU is, you know, there's just too much talent down here and the location is too good for not to not have 
good assistant coaches to want to come here and, you know, take another step in their career, whether they're kind of rehabilitating themselves or their young coaches. I mean, two assistants you can point to at FAU in each of those situations, uh, you know, Clint Trickett, uh, who is a, a young coach, you know, many of you remember him as such quarterback, the quarterback from West Virginia and Florida state, uh, He's going to coach a Mackey award-winning tight end. I mean, Harrison Bryan is the best tight end in the country. All the stats say it. The kid is just – he was the whole offense yesterday. Uh, young coach. Uh, I think he was the best recruiter in Conference USA, according to 247. I mean, um, and then a coach who's been around at a few places like Glenn Spencer. I mean, it, it, he, he's come here and you handed him a bunch of really good athletes like um, Akias Leroy, who – with Rashad Smith, you know, Eric Smith, Eric and I have a little joke debating with uh, Rashad Smith and Sage Lewis, who's the best linebacker conference USA. And God, Rashad Smith might not even be the best linebacker on his team. <laughs> Kias Leroy is unbelievable. The kid's an animal. Two interceptions yesterday, a sack and a forced fumble. Um, you know, it, it's been it's been quite amazing. It's everything we've expected this program should be. I think that's what's so cool about this team, Shane, is this year, this 2019 team, not the 2017 team. This team is that Lane is winning with Charlie Parges' guys, Harrison Bryant, Rashad Smith, but his staff deserves credit for developing them into the players that they are. Harrison Bryant, you know, Charlie Partridge really didn't use his tight ends in the passing game a lot. And Lane Kiffin came in and they turned Harrison Bryant into a likely NFL draft pick. He's turned Brandon Walton on the offensive line from a guy who maybe he could play guard, maybe he could be a serviceable tackle, to somebody who's going to play in the NFL PA Bowl next month, since we're in December now, and who might be on the NFL roster. He's done such a good job with developing guys and bringing in talented guys and developing them. And I think that was something that maybe we didn't see last year, was Charlie's guys were still doing well, but not enough guys of lanes were developing. We're seeing that now. I think that's a huge reason why FAU is one nine of 10. Yeah, that's, I, that's, that's an amazing point, Jake. Yeah. I, I didn't even really think of it in that kind of the terms, um, but you know, it's, you know, there's still kind of just one game to finish here. And uh, you know, uh, I, I think there's just two really interesting programs here a program you know we everyone knows the story at uab and them kind of coming back and uh i think it's obviously conference usa west i think we really found out is a, kind of a big step behind uh conference USA east would you agree with that eric um I, no i actually disagree i i think okay. that i think that the west actually is more competitive uh, the west when you look at it and this once again it's been a running joke between you and i off air that tech Essentially, you know, and, and however you view it, you know, whether you want to give kudos to Skip Holtz or not for making the right decision, or maybe you think he could have held off, he chose to suspend his guys and then end up essentially costing the conference. I don't think there's any doubt that had they had Jamar Smith and Adrian Hardy, they would have gotten at least one of those wins uh, that they lost. But no, I think Southern misses for real. Uh, Jack Abraham certainly did not have a great show against FAU, which that has no less to do with Jack Abraham. And I'm going to give all the credit to Glenn Spencer and FAU. You know, because Jack Abraham to throw four picks, you know, that's not what he does. And, and as far as completing less than 70 percent of his passes, that hasn't happened. I believe the stat is in in his career starts. It's only happened three times in his career where he's completed less than 65 and 70 um, percent of his passes. So give credit to FAU there. But no, I think that when you look at tech, when you look at Southern Miss, you know, I, I think the West is stronger. Um, what I was going to say, and you start to bring up UAB. This is my question here in terms of going forward. I'm going to throw two questions out, one for Shane and one for Jake. Uh, first, to start off with UAB, I've been saying it for the past four or five weeks. I think that FAU is the best team in this conference. But when you look at UAB, I honestly don't see a way that they can win this game without a healthy Spencer Brown. And 
what's shocking, I don't know if you guys even realize this, you're talking about a kid who in his freshman year ran for 1,300 yards, second year ran for 1,200. Spencer Brown, if my memory serves me correct, is only run for, for is, hasn't run for 300 yards this year. Yeah, I got the numbers right in front of me. He's got 118 carries for 462 mm-hmm. yards. So, I mean, talk about a subpar year on his uh, end. And then the quarterback play has been up and down. I just think that as FAU gets stronger in Glenn Spencer's defense, you guys talked about Kiki Leroy. Uh, maybe he's a dark horse defensive player of the year candidate. I'm still a little more biased in terms of, um, or maybe I'm still a little more preferential to other candidates, but I think he's only getting better. Uh, I just don't see a way that UAB can win this game. So that's the first question. And the second question I'll, I'll throw out is, I just want to look at the sustainability of FAU. I think that's what Lane Kiffin has brought. You know, um, I'm going to use USF as an example. USF a few years ago, or wow, more than a few, I'll say 10 years ago um, <laughs> with, uh, with Jim Levitt, you know, uh, they were heading in the right direction. You know, a consistent seven, eight, nine game winner, maybe couldn't get over that hump, but you knew that they were trending upwards, right? And then they fell off and then Willie Taggart came, brought them back. And then you see what's happened with Charlie Strong. Uh, so the second question is, and this is to, you know, whoever wants to take it, do you guys believe that this is sustainable and that's with or without Lane? And I'm not getting into speculation of whether Lane is going to leave, but eventually we do believe that Lane, you know, this isn't going to be the be all end all for him. So is this sustainable, this kind of uh, momentum of, you know, essentially dominating Conference USA over the past three years? Jake, you can go first on this one. I think, I think the winning is sustainable. I don't know if being in a conference championship is sustainable every year, but I think that's most conferences because like we saw with the Marshall game, you run into games where things happen that are out of your control. Um, officiating happens. Sometimes you get hit with a weather delay and you come out a little flat and it bites you. So I think winning eight games a year, definitely sustainable, especially now that they're starting to move away from scheduling these body bag games, scheduling more mid-tier power fives, teams like Purdue in a couple years. I know they have UF in two years. but So I think eight, maybe nine wins a year is sustainable, which is great for FAU. But, I mean, we've been saying it for months. Conference USA is so volatile. Marshall had a great year, and it seemed for most of the year, it seemed like Marshall was going to be in the conference championship game. And all of a sudden, they lose to Charlotte, and they almost lost to FIU, and they miss out. FAU, they lost to Marshall, and pretty much every other game in conference play, they controlled for the majority of the game. I, I, I'm going to say yes. And, and I think with any, you know, Prego's, any G5 team, when you say sustainable, I think fans um, tend to not think big picture a lot. I mean, we, Eric, I asked you this question the other day, and it, maybe it's just, you agreed just so I wasn't just looking through my FEU colored glasses. FEU is a top 10 G5 job. And I think especially oh, now, yeah. without question. Go, I was standing at halftime of the game yesterday. I was standing on the backside of FEU stadium, looking at the new practice field and the facility. And I go, Oh, like this thing is beautiful. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is gonna be a program changer. As long as this stadium and that facility's there, FEU is going to attract talent, you know, through however many coaches. Now, we know this, too. Um, Lane could leave. FEU could hire a good young up-and-coming head coach or a young coordinator, and it could not work out. And he could have two bad seasons, and they realize he just wasn't the guy. You know what I mean? Uh, that, that tends to happen in G5. We just saw it with Western Kentucky. You know, um, my thing is, is, you know, I just want FEU to just get to a point where they're kind of – the program itself is bigger than the head coach. Um you know, where the winning, where the winning is, you know, just more sustainable. I mean, we see this with Louisiana Tech a little bit, um, even though they haven't won a conference title. I mean, they're good for eight, nine, ten wins every year uh, under uh, Holtz. But you know, you kind of see this at App State. App State loses uh, Scott uh, Huddersfield, goes, you know, to Louisville, has a nice rebound season with them. But you know, App State's right now is in the running for a New Year's Six Bowl, depending on what happens and where uh, you have Memphis, Cincinnati this week. Um, so just to be kind of that, get to that point where we're just this well-oiled machine where it's like, we understand we're G5. Coaches are going to come and go in G5. I mean, it is, unless you have kind of a, a coach who's just older or someone who has had multiple chances at the power five and not worked out, you're going to have a coach for more than 
five, six years. I mean, is that right? I mean, it is hard for G5. I, no, I, I agree. I agree with you. Look at Scott Frost. Yeah. I mean, do, well, do you guys, hold on. Do you guys think that Satter against UAB will be the final time that we see Lane Kiffin on the sideline at FAU? No, no, I, 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 I don't know. We've talked about this. No one, no. And I, I think some, and I've already seen some FIU fans and other, they want to like dance on FAU's grave if he leaves. And it's like, we're sitting here going, none of us expected him to leave. And I think even let's just say he does take an Arkansas Florida state job in two weeks. He's left a good enough program behind where I, I think you can hire a damn good coach, um, you know, to come here and pick up where he's kind of left off. Eric, did you want to say something that I think you would kind of want to expand it on? No, I, I just was responding in terms of Jake's question in terms of, do I think it's the final time we see Lane Kiffin? The, um, when I said hold on was referring to Scott Frost. I think that was a special circumstance in the sense that he's a, you know, born and raised native Nebraskan who played at Nebraska. So I think, you know, you're always going to have the Scott Frost, um, you know, uh, maybe, Cliff Kingsbury, where a guy takes a job at his alma mater or something like that. But outside of that, um, yes, it is. It's always going to be hard to keep a G five coach, but I don't think that I think, especially after this run, you look at Willie Taggart, you look at some of the guys who have made that leap and realize the grass isn't necessarily greener on the other side. Uh, I mean, look at Mike Norvell, Mike Norvell could have left, you know, at various points in times, but you know, he's chosen to re up with Memphis. And I mean, we'll see what happens. Uh, as you know, the rest of the season plays out because obviously he'll have the opportunity again. The door will be knocking this year, but I just think that if you're going to leave a G5, which and this is something you know we can hash out on a later episode. Uh, Shane, you asked me if I thought FAU was a top ten G5 school I, program. I believe yes, but let's look at this for a second. How many G5 programs do you think are out there where you're living as the head coach in that bubble that you'd be living in if you're the head coach at Arkansas or? Florida State or such and such where, you know, uh, like Scott Frost said, you know, when he was at UCF, I can go after a game and go to after a big win, go to Wawa and get my sub and go home and no one knows who I am. Uh, if I go to Nebraska, everyone knows who I am. There, there's maybe three G5 schools, you know, maybe a Boise State, um, maybe a Marshall. And if you're in, you know, West Virginia, where you, you have that type of scrutiny. So I just don't think that I think coaches are starting to realize more and more that if you're going to leave, it has to be the ideal scenario because otherwise you got it pretty good. I, I agree with that to a sense, but you'd be crazy to think that these guys don't sit back and, you know, people, people like to, and I said this on the, the just, just a few podcasts that coaches and, Oh, they, you know, lane with the ego and stuff like that. And I'm kind of like, well, all coaches should kind of have an ego. You don't think a lot of these guys sit back and you want this. I mean, to be a college football coach, you kind of have to be a little crazy. I mean, it's sure. a great, it's an insane job. You work a hundred hours a week, nonstop. You're not with family. It's all to have 18 to 22 year old kids and a set of old referees decide <laughs> your fate, you know, every week. It's, it's literally, if you look at it from 10,000 feet of aliens came down, college football is insane. Um, but they don't sit back in their chair and every coach thinks in a, in a way that you know they're the best and I can do this on the highest level. I can be the guy that beats, you know, and it, not even talking about the four to 5 million other reasons that would bring a coach, you know, to another level. We don't think Mike Norvell is sitting back going, man, I can be the guy. And I'm not saying he is that kid. I'm the guy. I'm the guy that offense can beat Saban every year. You know what I mean? It's there, there has to be a little bit of that element of, I want to do this in front of a hundred thousand people every week. Right. I mean, right. PJ Fleck at Western Michigan, people had the same idea. I mean, a lot of people don't know um, when he was at Western Michigan, they would let him fly the way this, their practice schedule work. He would fly like home a few hours away to where his family was and spend like 36 hours with his family in the middle of the week at Western Michigan. I mean, that's an amazing setup, Right. And everyone's like, why would he leave that? Because he wants to go beat Wisconsin. You know what I mean? Or, or play against Michigan in the big house or, you know, upset Penn State. That's why. I, I, every situation's different. Lane's been on that stage, so who knows what his itch is. But 
I think you ask someone in private lane, would you like to have a big chance to knock off Saban in a big game? Right. Like who right. would say no to that question? <laughs> but I do, I do think it's worth noting that, and we've said it before. I think a lot of what lane wants down here. He has, he has kind of the anonymity where he's not getting stopped everywhere he goes and getting asked, well, why did you run this play on third and two? He has his boat. He has a beautiful new training facility next to FAU Stadium. He has a really nice stadium that unfortunately isn't always packed. He has he's near the beach, great recruiting area. You get to sell kids on all of that. And he's playing in a conference where eight, nine wins gets you a championship. So I think that there's a lot for him to like as opposed to living in the middle of nowhere in the Midwest or on the East coast where you're 40 miles out from airports and uh, really far away from major cities and civilization. Boca Raton, he's made that his home. And that's why I said a few months ago, there is a part of me that wouldn't be surprised if Lane stuck it out. Well, that's the wrong phrase. If Lane hung around for a few more years and then maybe said once he got into his 50s, because he's still pretty young, he's still only 44, you know, let me take a year off, relax, live on my boat, and then maybe he gets the itch then to climb into the SEC. And I, I just want to quickly piggyback off what Jake said really quick. As someone who's been to quite a few CUSA stadiums and campuses, I, I mean, FAU, when that new training facility is done, you're looking at top one or two in conference, you know, if not top five and G5. So, you know, I just want to throw that in there as, as someone who's been around. I mean, that's super yeah, impressive. I, again, we could talk about that and no one knows what he's truly thinking or what, you know, he could be thinking everything Jake just said. And he gets that one phone call that makes him go, oh, you know, let's not forget when he came here, I, he was pretty close to taking Houston and USF wanted him. And FAU pretty much got president, got him and President Kelly in a room, which I think is a huge factor for FAU, which makes it a kind of a big – I mean, for those who don't know, FAU's president of the university uh, sat down with a recruit last year, okay, to get him to commit to FAU over Iowa, okay, a local co- recruit. So – you know, there's a lot of schools out there you see where I don't think our president's fully invested in football. I mean, FAU's president is <laughs> like doing go uh, joining on on campus visits. You know right. what I mean? And the, AD, like, the AD as well. You have the yes, you have it, two of the most powerful people on campus in terms of actual role, not counting donors because those are powerful people too, but you have the president and the AD physically meeting with the kids and their families, getting to know them and pitching them on FAU. I, I mean, think that's, that's really cool. Uh, yeah. For like a high three-star safety, they're the president. It's so my thing is, is as long as you kind of have those two, the football coach can change. And if you have that type of all that momentum at FAU continuing, continuing, right. There's going to be coaches who are going to get in a room and be like, I didn't know if you had this going on. I didn't know other presidents supported this much. I want to coach here and go win two, three conference championships and get my big ticket to another job. So, you know, we can kind of talk that, uh, you know, forever. Um, but, you know, in, in the end, it's it's just it, FAU fans enjoy the moment. Like it, yesterday was, I thought the home, obviously the students' attendance was low being Thanksgiving break. I thought the home side of the stadium was one of the more full it's been all year. Like, yep. um, and the weather was gorgeous. I actually had a lot of friends at town. It was one of the more fun games I've been to. There was just a lot of exciting plays. So, I mean, just in, enjoy. I thoroughly enjoyed yesterday. Really quick question for both you guys. Coming back next year, and obviously you don't want to get too far ahead of yourselves because you still have the CUSA title game. But just, you know, it goes to show just how really impressed I, I have I've been with, you know, the recruiting job and the coaching job that they've done there. Next year, Arguably, you got the top two players on both sides of the ball, right? And and Achilles Leroy and Chris Robinson, arguably. Yes. Yes. FAU, I mean, without getting two X's and O's, the FAU this year is losing uh, some of those big name, some of those players that are not big name players, but they're just guys who've been kind of grinders and starters for four years. Uh, I just want like Will Davis on the defensive line. 
doesn't make any headlines. Been a kid who's been playing as a freshman. You know, you can just put him in there and he's going to be a good run stopper. Ray Ellis, um, guys like that. Yeah. So they got to, they got to kind of replace, you see what I'm saying? They got to kind of replace a lot of those mid tier. I don't want to say middle tier, but just, you know, guys who aren't getting all the headlines that help you win football games. They got to replace a lot of those guys next year. So we'll yeah, see. It's, it's going to hurt to lose starters, but I will say this because I was thinking about this yesterday. The big thing before last season was FAU's defense returned. 10 of 11 starters. The only guy they didn't bring back was Jeremiah Teleni. So they brought back all of their secondary, all of their linebackers, almost all of their starting defensive line. And the defense struggled. So I am wondering, when you open up a competition at left tackle, at center, the defensive line is going to be wide open. You're going to be looking for a new outside receiver and possibly a new slot receiver, depending on what happens with Willie Wright. I think that as much as some of those losses are going to hurt, I think having all of that competition and giving more guys a chance to get in there and establishing that jobs aren't – not that jobs aren't safe, but that, you know, FAU wants to win again, that guys got to compete for spots, I think that could be a major reason why FAU could practice well next spring and summer. Yeah, you know, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit, you know, more as the offseason, but like I said, I'm just as a – fan and they're recruiting it's all just going so well now it's like one of those times in college football i just want to like sit back and enjoy it but you know uh we didn't get too much into it we talked about some of the coaching and rumors and kind of big picture stuff eric it, what do you kind of foresee for this weekend early trends there has been a spread out but just kind of reading some conference say message board it's starting to feel like effie's probably gonna be like a two touchdown favorite in this game uh, yeah, I don't see why not. As I kind of talked about earlier on the podcast, Spencer Brown is one of the best backs in Conference USA when healthy. He hasn't been this year. You're going to see a combination of he and Lucius Stanley, but that's not anything that FAU isn't equipped to stop defensively. You know, the major thing is going to be those two guys, uh, the quarterback situation for UAB between Tyler Johnson the third um, and uh, Dylan Hopkins. We'll have to see how that plays out. But once again, you know, I- I've said it. For the past few weeks, I think FAU is the best team in this conference. Um, defensively for UAB, Garrett Moreno, that's going to be a, you know, he's like Christopher Mole and Garrett Moreno are two huge uh, players for UAB's defense. Bill Clark always has a good defense. So that'll be interesting to keep an eye on. But I, I just think that Saturday, you know, forgive me for being presumptuous and I'll pass it to Jake to, you know, quickly give a score prediction as well. But I think Saturday will be a coronation for FAU more than anything else. And if I had to give a score prediction of myself, I would be looking at something like 31-17. Ooh, coronation. Bringing out the SAT words, Eric. Absolutely. You know, real quick, Jiggy, before you go, I don't want to get too, I, as a fan, I will tell this super quick story, is uh, I was a little nervous. FAU was putting out all this stuff about conference championship tickets before yesterday's game, and I, that's a big jinx thing to me. So, coronation. <laughs> I, I'm superstitious, so I don't want to get too far ahead. Yeah, I, I understand. Um, I agree with a lot of what Eric said. The one thing for me with FAU is hopefully they're healthy. They had some guys leave with injuries yesterday. Malcolm Davidson seems like he's hurt again. Vladdy Rivas, the kicker, limped off with an injury after a kick. So they brought in Shariari, who's the kickoff guy. So if FAU's healthy, that'll help. The good news is even if Davidson can't go, B.J. Emmons is playing great. Um, I'll have a full score later in the week, but if you ask me right now, six days before the game, uh, I picked FAU 35-24 against Southern Miss. I'm going to cop out a little bit. I'm going to say FAU 35-23 against UAV. No apologies. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say uh, thir- uh, UAV's got a tough defense. I'm going to just say 31-7. Uh, I, th- I don't see how UAV scores consistently. So um, that's it. We will have David hop on now and we'll um, start to talk a little bit about um, FIU and, uh, you know, where where does FIU kind of go from here um, after yesterday's tough overtime loss? All right, guys. Hey, Shulable fans. Uh, I know you just listened to part of the episode. Uh, This (laughs) we had to record two different times uh, for two different points of view since I couldn't be on earlier and you know we just had schedule uh conflicts but we are here to talk some FIU here and FIU lost this weekend in a heartbreaker 
to Marshall in overtime. And, and this, this, this one hurt, you know, this one hurt, especially coming off the biggest win in, you know, program history. You wanted to kind of cement that going into Marshall, a team that's, you know, seen as one of the better teams in this conference and to come out with a loss in overtime really hurt, especially when it felt that all the, a lot of the momentum was in our favor, especially with the big fourth quarter that we had. And so it, it was, it, it was a bit painful. And, and there were a lot of things that, that, um, that we can take away from this, uh, some good, some bad, but I'll, I'll start off with some bad things that I noticed. I mean, the run game, we could not run on Marshall. Uh, we had a good running game against UM, but that didn't translate this week. Um, I mean, we've talked about it throughout the season and I know I, I, I don't like to blame the refs, but I thought the officiating was pretty bad. This game, uh, especially it was very one-sided, a very bad non-targeting call, I guess, which was brutal and a few pass interferences, no calls and a call on a few calls on us. Um, and then just in general, I think that there was, I mean, there's, I think for me, there was three plays that really kind of dictated this game that I think where we lost it for ourselves one of them being allowing Marshall to convert a third and 19 when we could have had a sack and they were able to convert it. I think they got points off that. Yeah. And so not to put this on Sage, but Sage had a fantastic, fantastic game. But, you know, that that drop hit could have been a huge momentum change in that point of the game. And the last one for me was that third and two call in overtime. Um, obviously, it's all hindsight because if we convert it, um, obviously, we're glorifying the play. But for me, I'm just not a fan of throwing it behind the line of scrimmage on a screen on third and two in like a must convert situation. But, you know, things like that. But I also did see some good things, you know, uh, some things that we carried over from last week. I mean, Borgales is on a roll. He hit a big uh, field goal that sent us into overtime. Um, I thought the defense, you know, maybe the stats won't tell you everything, but I thought the defense played pretty well. I mean, Knox is the leading rusher in Conference USA. And obviously until that overtime run, I mean, we held him to, he had like 32 carries for like 113 yards. I, mean, I know Eric could probably correct me if I'm wrong, but that's just a little over three yards per carry, which, you know, isn't amazing, but it's, it's I thought it was, it was decent. And, you know, defense as a whole, I thought played pretty well. And, and James Morgan and some of the receivers made a, a few big plays uh, minus some drops, but, you know, I saw some good things, but at the end we weren't able to come up with a victory which I thought was, you know, a must, almost a must win game just to keep that momentum going from the UM game. And uh, hopefully now we're just kind of sitting back praying that we hit a bowl game, which I personally do believe we're going to get one. But, you know, now we're just, uh, the seven, the win against Marshall would have really solidified that. But um, Eric, uh, what were your, some of your thoughts on this game? Yeah, so just kind of take it off the top. You make a great point about that seventh win. If you get that, and I was in that camp as well, that six will get you to a bowl game. I do believe that it, it was a little bit iffy given the fact that FIU, if you were to rank all of the Conference USA teams who are bowl eligible, you probably have to look at the Panthers as the least attractive. And I only say that because you look at some of the other programs, for example, of Charlotte, who they're bowl eligible for the first time in their program's history. So, you know, you might say, hey, FIU beat Charlotte, sure. But in the eyes of the bowl committee, and of course, Charlotte's already qualified and, and, and been announced going to the Bahamas Bowl, but they're just a more attractive team as opposed to FIU, who had such high expectations coming into the season and didn't live up to them. Uh, David, give yourself credit, first off, for the Brendan Knox stat. So you're right on the money there. Oh, let's uh, his, go. <laughs> his, his, his final stat line was 33 carries for 146 yards in the touchdown. But you mentioned it, the one long run in overtime, and we've seen this FIU team throughout the year. If they have a running back who has 30-something carries, there's a possibility they may give up 250 or 300. So don't let the fact that Marshall finished with 200 yards rushing you know, deceive you. I'm in the camp that this is some of the best play the defense has had all year in totality. Uh, outside of Brendan Knox, you have Xavier Gaines at five, th- five carries for 33 yards and then Stefan Evans, who had six carries for 26 yards. So, 
the defense has stepped up and played better. And we'll come to that a little bit later in this podcast and talking about just our overall thoughts about the defense. But yeah, there were some missed calls. You know, I am trying to get a hold of Jerry Austin. Sometimes you can get him. You sometimes you can't. Jerry Austin and Merton Hanks over there in Dallas, Texas at the Conference USA headquarters. They are the heads of officiating because I wanted some clarification on the James Morgan targeting. Uh, I showed Shane Marinelli in our group chat, you know, our uh, resident FAU fan and recruiting guy, that video. And he agreed that it was targeting. Uh, David, you obviously agree it's targeting. I saw it live. Uh, for those of you who do not uh, did not know that uh, Huntington was not on the travel list, so I was watching that one uh, from the comfortable confines of my couch on my laptop. And, uh, you know, I saw James take that hit, and my first thought was just, I mean, that's an automatic targeting. I, I believe my tweet said it was a cheap shot, and I still stand by that. I thought Marquise Couch led with his helmet. And in today's day and age, when you see such a high emphasis of protecting the quarterback it just seems that yeah james was a runner but he clearly was giving himself up and i was surprised that that wasn't called and he wasn't ejected from the game outside of that the biggest frustration if you're an fiu fan has to be the this fact and once again i've got to give shane marinelli credit here uh shane's talked about isaiah green's performance and said that hey you know isaiah green's a talented guy but he does have his struggles and i've talked about it um on the other conference usa podcast ike green went nine of 20 for 90 yards you know, that type of passing performance, if FIU is able to hold the opposing quarterback to under 50% completion percentage and 90 yards, that's one that you're really hoping they can win, especially in the first half. I, I, I know a lot of FIU fans have had their gripes with offensive play calling, things of that nature. I don't fall on that camp. However, I can see the frustration when in the first half, and David, I'm sure you'll agree with this, I think FIU really lost this game in the first half because it was there for the taking. I mean, when Marshall was struggling overall and offensively and they weren't doing much, you know, I would have liked to have seen things kind of open up a little bit outside of the one long bomb to Maloney. There wasn't much offense. And we know the weather did play a factor, but you look back at this one and you just say, we had our chances, you know, FIU flat out had their chances. This is one of their best defensive form, best defensive performances of the year. Nice to see two back-to-back ones with Miami and this, and, and they had their chances and didn't get it done. Um, you mentioned Jose Borregales, great job rebounding on, on his end, but uh, this is one that FIU had and then they just weren't able to, uh, to secure it. Yeah. That, that's why it was just so heartbreaking is because it, it really did feel like a game that it was like our game to lose. Like I felt all the momentum was on our end especially when we started that fourth quarter with the, obviously the, the quick touchdown to end the third and the fumble and an immediate score. I was like, Oh my God, this is, this is it. We're doing this. And then, um, you know, just ended the way it ended. It, it's, it's, it's tough, but you know, hopefully these guys can kind of shed that off and, and hopefully, you know, we get a, a, a nice bowl game. I've obviously not a nice bowl game, but you know, a, a, an opponent that, that, you know, it looked nice to come up with a win against. Um, so, that, that would be huge. You know, that'd be huge. And obviously we spoke about it a little bit before we started recording how big of a difference a seven and six uh, season is compared to six and seven. I mean, maybe it doesn't seem like it cause it's one win, but I, I, me and Eric both agree that it, it's a big, I think it's a big difference. Uh, you know, especially when you're weighing in the fact that it'd be Butch's third winning season here, uh, three straight bowl games, you know, winning two of the three bowl games. So it would be a big difference and it's a big momentum booster going into next year, you know? So that would be big. Yeah. You know, kind of piggyback off that really quick where that initial question came from is I'd asked David on Saturday, just how FIU fans would feel about this season. If they're able to beat Marshall and then win a bowl game, you finish the year eight and six, which obviously, you know, I predicted as a team that could win 10 games. David was optimistic about that as well, but if you beat Miami and you come off the momentum of that, you know, you've really kind of captured not only the eyes and, 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 you know, ears of South Florida, but, you know, you kind of captured, I don't want to, you know, hyperbole say the nation, but a lot of people were talking FIU, you know, we saw articles written up in the Washington post and things of that nature. So I think if you're able to follow that up with a win and a win in a bowl game, you finish eight and six, you say, Hey, that's a successful year, right? You know, maybe not the one you wanted, but still all in all successful. But this one, especially when you lose to Marshall, it just feels like, you know, another missed opportunity. And, and, I, and I hate to be that prisoner in the moment guy that sounds like I'm just waffling, you know, where it's like one win is different between this and that. Because this whole season in totality for me is a disappointment, uh, given the fact that, and once again, we'll talk about it, you know, in a little bit this episode, a little bit later episodes. The biggest frustration for me overall, I think, is 
you know, the play of the run defense, the fact that FIU is going to finish last in run defense overall in Conference USA. They finished 13th out of 14 teams last year. It's just been an issue for two years now. And it's something that when it's bad, it's, it's horrendous. And you have to look at the fact that, I mean, David, I don't know how you feel about this, but I've got the numbers pulled up right here. Give me one second. Let's transfer back to them. All right. So let's just run this down in succession. You give up 362 to Tulane, 275 to Louisiana Tech, 217 to Charlotte, although those numbers are a little bit misleading. The 471, the infamous, you know, Murfreesboro Mar- Monsoon, uh, uh, Middle Tennessee, 261 to FAU. You give up those big chunks, but then you look at the games where they shut teams down, 64 yards to Old Dominion, 38 yards to UMass, uh, 132 to UTEP. David, the games where they shut down the run, those aren't good teams. So could you imagine if, you know, this year's schedule? Well, you added, hey, Eric, real quick, just to interrupt, yeah. what was their no, no, yeah. first Miami uh, 164, 164. Okay. So that, that was, that's, that's manageable. I mean, that's extremely manageable. And, and, and as a matter of fact, Shane, uh, most of those rushing yards, if you look at it, they came in the fourth quarter, um, when, uh, Miami was kind of trying to run a couple little uh, delay plays, uh, or draw plays to pick up some yardage. So that's manageable. But, but David, just to finish up the thought really quick, think about it. If FA, if FIU plays, you know, some of the top, the better teams in conference USA, uh, instead of the UMass and UTEPs uh, of the world and Old Dominions of the world, that number could be worse. Like, so I, I think that's just could be, I'd be a little bit troubling. No, it, it definitely is troubling. And it's something that obviously needs to be like the number one focus going to the off season. I mean, I think even before this season started, we had mentioned, like, I hope that was the number one priority going into this season. I know something that just didn't get fixed. Um, so personally, I, I don't have all the answers, but I, it's definitely something that that needs to be the priority because I'm with you. If we would have been scheduled a few different opponents, like who knows what our record is, you know? And and it's and even and even if it's let's say if we would have gotten it fixed, it would have been the opposite because we could have won a lot of those games that we lost because we allowed, like you said, like 400 yards to Middle Tennessee, which is ridiculous. But no, I, I'm totally on your boat. I totally agree with you. It's just something that that hopefully it's addressed and it's hopefully it's fixed because it's it's looking bad it's, and it can happen again next year because three years in a row like this, that's I don't I, I don't even know what to do at that point because that's really really bad. Well, I, I I think and I know Eric talks a lot about schemes and stuff like that, and he tends to believe I you know it. I tend to believe a little bit more in the player here. I think stopping the run is about. Again, I've said this before, kind of just having the dogs. Yes, you can put people in, you know, in, in the elements are right. You don't give up 471 yards just because you're purely getting pushed around. That's taking bad angles and not being in the right gap. Um, you know, you can maybe scheme your way better. But again, you know, stopping the run is about kind of you've got to just beat the man in front of you. And that's simply recruiting. I mean, that's that's the only way that truly gets better. Uh Shane, go ahead. Were you done? I don't want to cut you no, off. No, no, that's, that's, I mean, like, again, I think there's elements of both, but, you know, if I had to create a circle, I think just sick, you can only scheme your way into stopping the run so much. So really quick, one of the things, and I, I do agree with Shane to an extent that, you know, part of it is having players, right? But part of the reason I lean towards scheme, and you did touch on it, when you give up that amount of yards to F, excuse me, when you give up that amount of yards to Middle Tennessee State, you know that a lot of that is taking bad angles, right? One of the things you're able to see when you're down on the field, and I think this is why I lean so heavily on it, the Middle Tennessee State game was decided well into, you know, by the time the fourth quarter began. So I probably watched the final 10 minutes of that game from down on the field, just waiting for the game to end. When you can see, especially on the Jay McDonald 90-something you know, yard touchdown run, and part of the reason I lean so heavily on this, and I want to say this to both David and Shane, is T.R. Tart said this to me at the beginning of the year. When you have too many guys trying to make the play, right? And I know this is going to sound like it's, it may sound a little convoluted for the you know, lame, layman person listen to this. You can only have so many people make the tackle. Some one person has to occupy a gap. 
One person has to, you know, set the edge. One person has to has to have contained. You can't have 10 people trying to make the tackle because, and I bring up that Jay McDonald touchdown run for a reason. It's as simple as having, you know, six, seven guys, you know, all the linebackers all thinking that they're going to pursue Jay McDonald, who's a speed back, you know, is a track guy coming out of high school, makes one cut, and then he's up the sideline 90 yards. I mean, that's – I don't I don't think that that's a matter of players as much as it's just, you know, scheme guys uh, – scheme and – that's been the issue when it's been those huge chunks, Shane. So it's not that I disagree with you. It's just that when FIU gives up yards, it's in those huge chunks. Yeah. Again, but then I could just, yeah, well, we could kind of play this. I think sure, the sure. effort against Miami was them kind of playing that better version of themselves. Right. And I think it's more physically. Like you could see the speed and the effort was there on every play. And that's what I mean by stopping the run, having the dogs. So sure, down, sure. Agree, they, with agree with you. Agree with you. Coming downhill at a certain speed is how you stop the run. And I'm not accusing them of not playing hard. It's just obviously, I mean, anyone will tell you that there's an extra energy in that game. And that's the kind of, you watch FAU's defense run side to side this week on Southern Miss. And Southern Miss has two or three really good receivers. You, I mean, and I'm just making the FAU comparison. Go watch how Kiki Leroy plays on every single play. I mean, it's... It, it, it's why sometimes three or four times in the game he's being helped off the field. Um, Exaggerate a little bit, but he comes out a couple of times a game because he kind of plays like a, you know, like a bat, a bat out of hell. You know what I mean? It's, and that's how you stop the run. I mean, it's really the only way. Um, I mean, how they fix that. I don't know. I mean, we could talk, we'll talk, we'll do recruiting podcasts and stuff. I think FIU fans kind of learned this maybe a little bit kind of a year after FAU kind of went through it, especially with Lane's first recruiting class that Juco ain't always cracked up to be Um, for every one good player you get, you get two guys where you're wondering why he's only played three downs, six games into the season, if he makes it on campus. So, you know, it's kind of a tough route to, you know, quickly fix. And, and, and just to, to, to kind of discuss this problem, if you watch college football around the country, especially in G5, it is really hard to stop the run. I mean, let's just look at Memphis, for example. Um, I I don't have all their numbers in front of me, but there's been multiple games where they've been gashed defensively, and they're going to represent – Memphis will represent in a New York Six Bowl this year. Um, I mean, so it's tough at this level. It's – hard to find big fast athletic guys so it becomes tough you know for some of the team FAU's fortunate right now to have kind of a bunch of uh senior just vet defense alignment you know they have four or five guys who've just kind of been here and just know what to do and you can kind of rely um but I don't know what that could turn into next year you know when they're playing with younger guys so you know it's really tough at this level to have like kind of that shut down run defense of just, you know, to transition here, guys, this is a question and I kind of want to know what the fans think FAU and FIU uh, fans. And this is always debated amongst G five fans when a bowl game comes. I think I'm in the minority a little bit on this, but would you guys kind of rather play maybe like a quality G five opponent for FAU's example a Cincinnati, maybe even a rematch with UCF or an, an SMU or, you know, um, something or maybe a team from the Mountain West. Uh, or would you – everyone seems to kind of relish at the chance to play the Power Five teams. Like I've seen a couple uh, bold prediction, in, and even going back to 2017, FAU and Florida State. And I've always been kind of against that. I get the name. I get it would be a huge deal to – but I'm just so stuck on the talking heads. You know, you, you get a team with a, a lot of these times you get the P5 team with the interim head coach, the three or four players sitting because they're going to the draft. So even if you do go beat them, it, it feels like th- their fan base just has excuses and they don't care. Um, and then there's, there's also just the element. you can. I think a lot of those teams, their rosters are so good, they could still crush us. So I'd rather just play a good quality G5 opponent. I mean, what do you guys think? I, I'm, I'm on the opposite end. Uh, I think that I would love to get the chance to play a, a P5 school, someone with like a, a bigger name. 
just because, um, you know, I think it gives you more, you know, like limelight, uh, gives, brings more attention to the game. And if you are able to win that game, I mean, whether four guys are missing for the NFL or not, I think just being able to beat the name itself, like rings a lot of bells in people's heads. And it, I think it builds that more momentum for next season. Um, that's, that's my only thing. Uh, I would love to get the chance to play like an FSU this year or, or a UNC type school that, you know, maybe even if we're not able to pull off the win, at least if, if, you know, we're competitive and obviously I want the win. Um, but I think just ha- playing a bigger name uh, might end up helping uh, in the long run. So here's kind of my thoughts on this as I'm going to pull up the latest bowl projections after week 14. I tweeted these out, but I'm going to give my thoughts first and then I'll run them down. Maybe it comes from, and I think it, it, I, my, my perspective was truly shaped uh, when I was in Chicago in grad school, you know, being a UCF grad, you walk around with UCF gear. No one knows what the hell that is until the 2017 year when they defeated Auburn in the Peach Bowl. It's like, oh, yeah, that's that school who did such and such. UCF was a school that was a solid G5 team, you know, would compete for CUSA titles and would compete for American titles and had some modicum of success. Yes, they beat Bowler in the Fiesta Bowl. They beat Baylor in the Fiesta Bowl. But still, you know, no one really knew who they were until they beat the SEC powerhouse, right? That just really shaped my opinion. So I say all that to say this. If you go outside the state of Florida, and I mean this respectfully, as a G5 guy, you can include my school in there up, up until recently. No one knows who the hell FIU, FAU are. No one knows where USF is uh, in South Florida. They think it's in, you know, somewhere in Fort Lauderdale. And they just started figuring out where UCF is. If you can play a Florida State, if you can play a Miami, if you can play a UCF, you see what that type of cachet uh, and name recognition brings outside of the state. And I think we already have a living example of that when FIU beat Miami, guys, I mean, I hope this ain't controversial, but if you look at the past three years, FIU has been a better football program than Miami, right? I mean, more or less, I'm not saying in terms of, you know, big time success, obviously, um, UM plays in the, in, in the ACC and there's a lot of mitigating factors there, but if you just look at the fact that overall competitiveness, FIU, if you don't want to say they've been better, they've been just as good. But no one knows who the hell FIU is because they play in Conference USA. And I say that no one knows outside of the state. So if you have the opportunity to take on a team with name recognition, and I'm going to run down the bowl projections. We've got 24-7 sports. The Armed Forces Bowl against Air Force. CBS Sports, the Boca Bowl against Eastern Michigan. Uh, Cultural Ball News, we got the Armed Forces uh, against Air Force. Sporting News, the Cheez-It Bowl against Nevada. You come off of that, and then we have our ESPN predictions. One is the Cure Bowl against Georgia State, and then one is the Gasparilla Bowl against UCF. I mean, I don't think you have to be a genius to say which one of those doesn't look like the other. Should FIU be able to at least be competitive against UCF in a bowl game, and then they can open the season next year at UCF? I just think that just keeps them in the minds of a lot of people. Um, and it's like to Shane's point, you know, he, he's like, I'd rather have the solid win over a G5. I just think that that's nice for your overall morale of your team, maybe. But what does it do in the greater scheme of things, especially when you're FIU and you're coming to thing at seven and six, as opposed to, you know, FAU who has a chance to win the Conference USA title? Eric, I think you convinced me. Bring on whoever Cam Akers' <laughs> backup is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, don't be wrong, Shane. I, Shane, I, I hear your point when you're talking about, hey, you know, you're playing the uh, the interim head coach, but but, dude. Um, no, I I just think it's sometimes with the excitement of the bowl. It, it's and, and I and I agree with you a hundred percent what you're saying. I just don't know in my mind what outweighs it because, like, you got to think for FAU. It's like if FAU, let's just say they put FAU, Florida State. Um, I mean, and I think Florida State fans were mad in 2017 when Florida State was in this very similar situation and Southern Miss got to play him and we got stuck with six and six Akron, you know, after go winning, going eight, no, in our conference, you know what I mean? Or seven, we got stuck with the Akron team and we killed them and it felt good. We got a nice bowl win by 50 points for the home fans. And, you know, we could have played Florida State in that Odell Hagan's first term. Um, after Jimbo mm-hmm. Fisher left, but 
you know, it's, yes, I get what you're saying. Sometimes the average college football fan probably just looks down at the score and says, oh, FAU beat Florida State, and they're not even realizing that, you know what I mean? Or even the average alumni, they're not looking into the depths of who sat for Florida State or, you know what I mean? I just think of the excitement leading up to the game. You're just like you have the G5 fan base, like super excited and like Florida State fans couldn't be distracted with the game um, because they're so more concerned about who their head coach is going to be if we play them in that game. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, um, you know, you finally get a date with the super hot chick and she's like on her phone the entire time. Yeah, that's no. a, that's a, that's a hell of, hey, hey, hold on, Dave. I just want to say something. You know, that's a hell of an analogy by Shane. Shane, for yeah. for those of you to bring you guys inside, Shane loves using like women slash dating analogies, and he, he he may have won me over with that one. Yeah, <laughs> you're going around telling your friends like, yeah, I took out Sydney, and it's like, bro, she was texting Steve the whole time. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, but guess what? You still took out Cindy. Like, <laughs> and, and, and even and I think it's more of an issue. We could have a conversation about G5 and why I think I remember having this long conversation about why in 2007, it felt like there was more hope for G5 programs. And I think the biggest thing is the ESPNs of the world, the talking heads have gotten, especially when they created the G5 Power 5, they've gotten this so good at almost like this propaganda network news political excuse making for Power 5s, right? You know, it's a, I could see FAU beating Florida State 20 to 14 at halftime and like Pollock at halftime go, well, this isn't your regular Florida State team, blah, 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 blah. Imagine if they play Georgia. You know what I mean? It's they've gotten so good at that. It's like, you know, it, it would be more fun to just, you know, have a where you get a bowl game versus Cincinnati. That's, you know, had a good year and their fan base is into it. And you feel like both programs are kind of playing for something, some real jockeying of who's who's bigger in p5 the conference usa champ beats the aac runner-up you know maybe it, it it's a big deal for conference usa as opposed to us beating in a an acc team where everyone's like yeah it's the bottom of our conference so what you know they even eric you're a ucf fan um auburn tried to pull auburn fans use this move when ucf beat them in uh, you know the peach bowl Oh, that game wasn't important to us. You know, we they they weren't up for it. And it's just like you know what, <laughs> David. David, two two things really quick before you go. One, just because I I, I and I, I'm not picking on Shane for this. It's just a it's a disclaimer I have to make because I already know it's going to be an issue coming up. Uh, I'm not a UCF fan. I'm an UCF alum. There, there's a difference because I already know come opening week I'm, I'm going to catch I'm going to catch hell from the uh, <laughs> the Section 112 fans. Two. Uh, <laughs> uh, David, I'm sure you'll agree with this, right? To come back to Cindy, right? Yes, I agree with you 100%. If Cindy's, uh, you know, on uh, you guys go on your date and she's texting, you know, what, what does it matter? But if you and Cindy go home together and, you know, you guys spend the night together, you don't care if Cindy's texting Steve the entire night because you guys still went home together. And, and that's, I guess that would be the analogy of beating the P5 team. So, David, I'll let you right. jump in. Shane, Shane was really almost turning me there and then, Eric, you yeah. <laughs> we should have a podcast of just sporting analogies to dating. Cause I think so much, I always do it in our group text with so many things. And I think so much of it is the same. I just joking today. I've been, I know FIU fans are following with the whole um, coaching carousel. I mean, the coaching carousel is, you know, we make fun of our girlfriends for watching the bachelor and bachelorette. I mean, we are doing the same thing on a crackhead level right now with growing men in football coaching. Right. I mean, it's, this is true. It's the same thing. He'll, you know, so-and-so will love my school more than your school because of location money. No. Oh, he's happy. And it's just, it's like, it's ridiculous, but yeah, we always make those kind of analogies. It's fun though. Yeah. The only difference between that is that we're, um, we're throwing a lot of money here. All right. I'm losing a lot of money. I'm winning some money. <laughs> you can gamble on the bachelorette. You can definitely gamble on the bachelorette. You know, it, it, if you have the right website and you're in Vegas, you can bet two cockroaches running up a hotel. <laughs> you can find a line running up a wall. Oh my God. Um, all right. Well, I, I will end it with this saying that the one team I do not want to face in the bowl projections, we've been getting it a lot. I do not want to face Air Force in the Armed Forces Bowl. 
because one, they're like an option team, and two, it's almost like un-American to beat them there. So get me out of that bowl game and take me against anybody else. And actually, you know, give me UCF because we're beating them. Yeah, I yeah, I, I would I would give FIU a pass. You no one wants to face a triple option team. FAU for some reason scheduled a bunch the last few years. We've played like Navy twice. Um speaking of Air Force, uh I, I, FAU plays them on the twentieth in two years on the twentieth anniversary of nine eleven, FAU plays at Air Force. So I don't know if I've said that on this pod before, but yeah, so it's a, yeah. playing the triple option is never fun. You do not get out of playing the triple option. It's so hard to prepare for. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's a tough one. But um, but all right, we're going to call this one an episode. Thank you guys for listening uh, consistently through the season. I can't believe it's 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 almost done here. Uh, but definitely we've got a still a big weekend for FAU as they take on UAB at home for the chance to win. Lane Kiffin's second conference USA title in his three years here so far. So, and David's going to repay his bet. He's attending the game this weekend, and he will wear FAU apparel. That is true. I'll be, I just will, found that out live yeah, right I, now. I will, be, I will be wearing an FAU shirt to repay my debt. Thank you, thank you to the FIU team for making me do this. Um, but, yeah, so if you want to hang out with us, we will definitely be at that game. Uh, Shoot us a DM. Uh, We'll let you know where we're at. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening.